You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, Alan, how are you? Oh, I am... Oh, I, I, I thought I had a line for this, but I don't. I'm well. I'm good. I, I watched a lot of magic yesterday. Oh, very nice. Um, we are short one Kieran, one Kieran lines because uh, he's not feeling well. So hope he feels better soon. Yeah, get well soon, as as me and David are well. Indeed, yes. Um, I'm sure listening to this when it goes up will uh, speed him to recovery. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, before we jump in to the show today, I will talk about InkedGaming.com. InkedGaming.com is the place to go if you want a custom playmat or if you want lots and lots of gaming accessories such as sleeves, dice, uh, dice bags, things like that. You can also get board games there. And uh, But yeah, the, the main draw is the is the customizable playmats and you can print whatever image you want on there, get it shipped to your door. Uh, and if you go through the link in the show notes or just go to inkedgaming.com forward slash schoolcrack, you'll get 10% off your order, which is many percent. That's a, and uh, obviously the more things that you order, the more money that is. That's how percentage works. That is true. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta compound your interest in magic. Well, that's what I say whenever I buy cards I don't need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think before I was asking about a uh, stitch judging and what it is, I had no idea. But then uh, while playing Standard and Thirsty, I saw a player had what I assumed was stitched edging on a playmat. And uh, let me tell you, it was very nice. And it made me realize that I certainly want to go get onto um, get onto Ink Gaming. I almost forgot. I almost a card order. Get on get onto inkgaming.com uh, slash Skullcrack and get the same. Not only have you now mentioned card order which is a competing no it's not really a competing company because they do completely different products but you've, you've mentioned a different company during the ad and you almost said stinkgaming.com so you're just you're off the show up i was trying to say skullcrack and inked gaming at the same time and um i don't know what else i expected to happen <laughs> um if i'm off the show well you got to do a one-man show yeah though actually that's terrible you're back on you're back yeah. on i leave, leave you david wolf yeah my uh, first day in school by David. <laughs> it's uh, not a happy tale, but uh, <laughs> um, all right. So what have we got today? Well, world the 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 twenty twenty. Well, actually, I think they've they've taken the year out of it because it's awkward. Uh, world Championship twenty six just concluded uh, this last night for us, um, and a whole bevy of challenger decks have been announced. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Um, I guess we'll talk about the Challenger decks first because they're kind of a, a nice little contained topic, whereas uh, talking about the World Championship could bring us on into standard and other topics. So, um, Challenger decks, new Challenger decks. Delighted. Uh, your... I thought they were, they were not doing this anymore, but uh, we're back. What? Um, Why did you think that they weren't doing it? Because, well, did they call this a returning thing? I mean, I think did ta- Wait, hang on. Did Challenger decks come out this time last year as well? Uh... I'm not sure when the last ones were, but there's there's been three rounds of them. Okay, I, I, I must be wrong then. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was around April. Must be must, must be around April every year uh, when they came out. Yeah, just, mm. 
really, really soon. Yeah, I, I almost missed last year's one. But, um, but this is good. It's, it's good that they're continuing to do this. Yeah. Um, so this time we have four of them. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's been four every time. I know that they did a set of Japan-only Challenger decks, and there was only two of them. Um, let me have a quick look. So last time there were four, yeah. And wait, is this the these the only ones? No, there was some before these. The one that's like uh, blue white control. No, I'm looking at an image here, and the ones from last year had like um, the ones from last year had. They had uh, like Legion's Landing. Is that Legion's Landing or it's a vampire anyway from Mixland? They had um, Niv Mizzet, Vraska, Pirate Vraska, um, and Goblin Chain Whirler. But then I think I think the ones from twenty from the the year before that had uh, had Amonkhet gods in them. I'm pretty sure the blue one had Amonkhet gods. Yeah, there there was a blue white one with uh, Captain on the front. Yeah, uh, there was Mono Red, Lightning Aggro, I think it was called. Yes, and then there was Vehicles one. Yeah, so the first, yeah, so they, they have been four every time, yeah. So the first one was Mono Red, uh, Mardu Vehicles, Blue Eye Control, and Green Black Counters. Uh, last year, 2019, was Mono White, Mono Red, uh, Green Black Explore, and Blue Red, like Drakes, kind of, or Phoenix. Yeah, I had a Nimbusit on the <laughs> Yeah, and this year we have Mono Red yet again. We have Green Black yet again. Uh, this time it's a adventure type deck. Uh, we have a Jeskai Fires deck and a Simic Flash deck. So that's what we've got this time. And let's jump into it a little bit, uh, looking at some of the specific cards. So, you know, you look at these in terms of, uh, I mean, really, you look at these in two ways. You look at them, one, for, for value uh, in terms of what reprints are they bringing and, and what cards will they bring the price down on. And then you also look at them as what they're intended for, really, which is uh, for new or newish players to like play right out of the box and be upgradable. Um, so some of them kind of succeed in that, and some of them not as much. But I think I think they're all playable out of the box, and they'll be fine. But some of them are closer to like current builds than than others. Um, out of this batch, really, it's the mono red deck is the only one that's really close to a. A current top deck but the other ones are certainly you know still good and playable for newer players yeah i think the way it works out is that there's like a certain, there's x number of mythics in each maybe even just one mythic in each x number of rares and x number of comes on a common so i think just uh i think the way those that distribution of rarity just seems to suit mono red i'm pretty sure it suited mono red before as well but uh yeah but the mono red deck being just just being the closest to what uh people are playing uh, in standard and then i think if you look at something like the um the Jeskai Fire deck, the, the, the numbers of cards that are, that are played in the deck do seem pretty odd. Um, I guess that's just a, a restriction on you know, I guess, the distribution of cards for this. But uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, these are all going to be good. If you're if you're wandering, wandering the standard into the shop, you take one of these off the shelves. I mean, you, it'll be a functional game magic, and you'll you'll you'll, you'll do quite well. Well, you, you'll um, you'll be kind of probably just a little bit below par, but uh, still, you know, possibly competitive uh, in an average field. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually, I'm, I'm not sure if there is like a quota of rares um, in them. I think that was something that existed in um, what the hell was the product that existed before this? It was the event X. Was that what it was called? Oh yeah, yeah. That that kind of quota of the number of rares and things was in there. These ones, 
I think they're supposed to be kind of balanced. Like you're not you're not going to get play sets of mythics basically in them, but rares they actually give away fairly freely in them. So like just looking at the allied fires one here, there's like twenty something rares in it. So, but there's only one one mythic I think. Yeah, it looks like it's one mythic in each. It's one Embercleave, one Vraska. One Embercleave, one, one Vraska, one... Kenrith. Yeah, it's, we're seeing a Biobox promo printed as one of these for the first time. That's good. Yeah, that is weird, yeah. One Brazen Borrower in the Simic one. So yeah, it's kind of like one mythic, basically, per thing, but a shitload of rares. So that's actually, you know, it's good value for newer players because, you know, you just have play sets of rare, and they, they don't shy away from, from putting play sets in these. Like um, the the event decks often had like one or two of a rare, but these just have a lot of playsets in them. Um, so you're getting like Fae of Wishes, Kenrith, uh, Sark and the Masterless, Ugin, Deafening Clarions, Time Wipes, of course, Four Fires of Invention, uh, and you're getting one Steam Vents in this uh, in this Allied Fires deck. So that's pretty nice. I thought actually I thought there was no shock lands, but there actually are. I think that's the only one though. Just one steam vents in here. So uh, this this uh, fires deck is fine. I think uh, it's it's the the version that I think is generally considered weaker now, or at least not in the meta. It's like not the not the current build. The current or like most popular builds are the the Cavalier of, of Flame, Cavalier of Gales builds uh even dream trawler now in some scenarios um so this is the planeswalker heavy build um that was popular before so but i think it's still fine on power level yeah and i think in, in a lot of these cases yeah they, they can be upgraded so yeah, you can um I'm actually this one what happened for me here is actually go through this article about decks and it's uh you know they they provide uh you know, instructions on how to upgrade each one and yeah they talk about upgrading this test fire set deck from uh the planeswalker build to the um good build the what do you call it cavalier the cavalier um of flame build yeah um, so yeah exactly yes it's been, I, I i think this was a great product because i think it always breaks my heart to see um your players in the shop uh who just have you know, a, a box of you know assorted draft um or just a, a sort of comments on the comments and the other air and kind of making the deck out of it um you know see the process of making that deck can be quite fun but then you know you can just get run over run, run over by any kind of a you know, comfortably built uh constructed deck so I think these are just just act as a very just as a, as a budget friendly um, and easy way uh, to get into a format like standard. Uh, and then yeah, you have the options upgrade, and they also just carry quite a good bit of value themselves. Yeah, the uh, the MTG Goldfish article is is really good, and obviously for any anybody who's considering picking these up and trying to upgrade them into like the quote unquote real version or the the heavily played version in standard, should definitely check it out. I'll, I'll link the the article in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, I mean they're just a great product. Uh, I think the mono red one has just been strong every time. I think mono red obviously um, does well in this kind of a format where they don't put a bunch of the lands into these decks because the lands, well, depending on the standard cycle and what lands are in standard at the moment, the lands can be expensive. So like shock lands, they're not going to put a lot of them into these because people would just buy them and crack them for the value. Do you know what I mean? Like if these are going to be charging, people are going to be, uh, stores are going to be charging like $30 for these. I don't know what the price is in Euro, probably like 35 Euro or something. I don't know. Um, or just 30 Euro maybe. Uh, like if there were four FET, if there are four shock lands in it, then that's more than the price. Do you know what I mean? So 
people they wouldn't get into the hands of the, of the players who who need them um but the other cards they they put in freely uh so that means that the ones that aren't monocolor will have like a a compromised mana base compared to the monocolor version so the the mono red one of these has pretty much always been the best one i think and it's it's no different here the mono red one here comes with you know comes with mountains and castle Embreath. that's that's all you need and then that budget for you know reprintable cards got to be spent on basically all four ofs throughout the whole rest of the deck you know four fervent champion uh four steam kin four bone crusher dying four torbran uh three chandra acolyte of flame and then you get the one ember cleave because obviously ember cleave is basically the value of the whole deck just by itself yeah yeah that, yeah it really, uh, just throw through the mana bases uh, you, get, you can see that the multicolor decks are just very compromised playing stuff like uh windscarred crag and uh Jungle Hollow when when they're not playing the full four temples in those spots. But um... yeah, I feel like they could just put the temples in because the temples are worth nothing, um, or like very little. You can usually get the temples for like a euro each. Um, so I feel like they should just fill them up with temples rather than giving the the gain life lands. But whatever, it's not that big of a difference. That's an easy upgrade. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the the blue green one for value seems pretty good because it has a brazen borrower and a fable passage so anybody looking f- just to pick up some value that's probably the best one i would say yeah and, and i guess and at the same time it's also nice to see what but just the impact this has on the market that you'll see the prices of um fable passage and hopefully stuff like brazen borrowers come down Um i fondly remember never owning i think actually at one point i traded away did I, or did i yeah i sold party appearance like, you know, well, maybe they made it settle. Basically, one point, yeah, sorry, I had a Kieran's, which I traded away for like you know, 12 euros or something like that. Um, would have that, that, that idea, and then, or maybe, maybe even more than that. But then at a GP Birmingham, right before I was signing my deck to play for standard, I saw uh, an vendor was selling them for two euro each. And I was like, oh, sweet, this person, this vendor has the wrong price tag on these hard Kieran's, so I'm gonna see if I can buy them. And then uh, I bought them looking with Zed, and I had such a rush of, oh my god, I just sold some money. This person obviously had a desk point in the wrong place. Mostly twenty feet each, got over two year each. Um, well, it turns out they were just reprinted in one of these one of these products <laughs> two years ago, and uh, the price has crashed down. Yeah, that that one had more than one, right? In the that was the vehicle one, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that had a place. I'm pretty sure I had a place that I can check it out with them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that had a place that was hard to hear on because it was such a, such a significant impact on the on the price of that card. Yeah, yeah, that and that's mad because hard to is a mythic, so yeah. Uh, speaking of Mythic, yeah, um, I was going to say, did you watch Mythic Invitational? But it's not called that. The world's magic world. Oh. World of magic. Is there anything else you want to say about these? <laughs> I thought I had a segue, but I did not. Apologies. <laughs> Somebody, one of the announcers said that on stream. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Cedric or Alias V. Uh, was like, welcome back to Mythic Invitational. Oh, no, it's not that. It's the World Championship. <laughs> Yeah, it's an easy mistake to make. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is. But yeah, there's three mythic invitationals. Now, from now from now on, the system is three mythic invitationals per year. No more mythic championships. Um I, I heard the casters over the weekend a lot saying, Oh, such and such a person has uh three mythic championship top eights and it's like, No, just go back to saying PT because now we can say that. That's fine. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's this person that's three PT top eights and two mythic invitational or mythic championship top eights. Um, yeah, I think it just yeah, tell them all PTs. Yeah, or or they could use the like top finish phrase that they've been they've transitioned to now, which I think is fine. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, like, I guess I, I hear people kind of quantify quantify it before by saying, you know, you need to be X at, at, at a certain at a certain level to top eight, but they're kind of you know. Um, What's the word? Converting that top eight to a, a high finish is you know, more variance, but uh, uh, that's what people's approach to, to that is. So I guess from that point, from that perspective, number of top eights is a better analysis, is a better way of, of uh, evaluating someone. But I mean, does it really matter? I don't know if someone's good. Well, no, I'm talking about like top finishes is, is like their new phrase for t- like top eights, quote unquote top eights, because. Oh. Because there's so many different names for the tournaments now, they can't just say PT top eights like it doesn't work anymore. Because we had a whole year of Mythic Championships, so like, like what do you say about Autumn Burchett? They have um, a PT win. You can't say that because it was a Mythic Championship, right? So uh, they're they're they actually codified what a top finish is. There was a one of their organized play updates on Magic.gg or whatever. They said a top finish is quantified as this. So it's like old PT top eights, uh, old worlds top fours. I think it was actually different for different types of worlds because they used to have different structures for the world championship. So it was like from this year to this year, it's a top four. But from this year to this year, a top eight counts as a top finish at worlds. And like World Magic Cup and Mythic Championships and Mythic Invitationals and Mocks. There's like a specific level that you need to get to in each of those tournaments, and that counts as a top finish. So they count top finishes now. Oh yeah, that, 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 yeah, that seems like an ideal way to do it. Uh, yeah, especially if you know something like a like a team Grand Prix, yeah, it's going to have top eight, it's gonna have top four. So yeah, it's gonna make sense to have a different term for each each uh, different tournament. And God, there are many different tournaments these days. Yes, yes. So now they just have one blanket term that covers all those things, but what exactly it means is set out in some document somewhere. I don't know the particulars of it, but it's an easy it's an easy term to, to understand uh, when they use it, so it's fine. Anyway, that's semantics. <laughs> Literally. Uh, Time for some antics now. Oh, yes, and some antics were definitely had over the weekend by Paolo Vitor Damodorosa, who is the winner, and he is the world champion at last. After playing in, I think, 14 World Championships, uh, he has now finally won one and uh, added that accolade to his uh, to his uh, repertoire and his uh, trophy shelf or trophy case or whatever massive thing he has to store all his trophies now. <laughs> yeah, got it. That's really, really good to see him uh, take it down because yeah, yes, he he's had so many the top finishes uh, you know, over the last few years. Even for as long as I've been following Magic, yeah, he's been he's been just crush, absolutely crushing it, and uh, it's great to see him finally take down the big one. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's also nice that he's done it in an era where the you know World Championship now gives you the vanity card. So like he'll be a card in the game, um, which I think is very fitting for like him. Uh, you know, there's plenty of people who it's fitting for, but he is one of those because he's such a, a big person in the game and has contributed so much and and what have you. Yeah, exactly. I I love this. It's such a great thing for them to have brought back into the game. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's so much history behind the uh, the old. Uh, I think they're invitational. Yeah, not mythic invitational, just magic invitational. Um, those old cards. 
So it's um, yeah, it's, it's great to see this this come back. Uh, I feel like it is. Um, it really is something that something almost kind of worth fighting for. Something worth uh, paying for to, to have yourself immortalized on a magic card. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, true underground is okay, but it's okay too. But you know. Yeah, I think was he already the highest earning player ever in terms of like winnings, magic tournament winnings. Ooh, that is possible, yeah. He um, might have been, and obviously this just catapults him into the stratosphere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is, this is the big highest, highest um, payout for a single match, I believe. Oh, yeah, I think so. so I think the, Mythic, the Mythic Invitational was the, the next highest, right? And that was like 250k? Yeah, yeah. So he did it with uh, Blue-Eye Control, a slightly not unusual build of Blue-Eye Control, but a little bit different than what we've been seeing recently. What did you think of his build? Yeah, I think as soon as I saw his list, uh, I think there's something just about uh, having one one Arkansas Grace and one Dream Trotter. I, I just to see that maybe think straight away. Oh yeah, this this guy knows what he's doing. Um, because he, I, I've seen kind of as a started format on lists, so kind of relied on three Dream Trotter. Some of those went up to four. I guess sometimes you're paying for. I guess kind of baby matters in terms of you know closing games quickly or just for the uh, for convenience of having you know, a finisher you know, always in your hand. Whereas I think, yeah, for him to make a decision to cut down the one one Gene Trotter, um, it kind of just shows like, like he's he's prepared to be in full control of the game uh, before he starts casting uh, those creatures. Um, I think, yeah, thirst reading, I guess another another um, kind of interesting choice. Which, yeah, I, I think it yeah, makes a lot of sense um, if he's if he's yeah, if he's you know playing more um, you know, more kind of spells in the main wants to uh, yeah, take control of the game that way. He wants to you know, not top out not top out every turn. And yeah, and having thirst reading to um yeah, and the turn draw two cards. It's a great way to leverage that. Yeah, the I think after um after seeing all the standard blue white lists uh in like leagues or on arena or whatever, that they're all gravitating towards like four Dream Trawler, like maximum win conditions. Um and then to see P V just coming back down to the one Dream Trawler and the one Archon of Sun's Grace is interesting and obviously you know is, is revealing about whatever his thought process was coming into the tournament um i don't think i ever saw an interview or a deck deck with him i didn't get to see much of it i just saw like some of the last day some of the um some of the top four basically um but i'm not sure what he was expecting uh, because if you're expecting a lot of mono red i guess you probably want more Dream Trot or more Archon of Sun's Grace, like more more lifelinky type things. Um, if you're expecting lots of Team of Reclamation and lots of Mirrors, then I guess that that would make more sense to to cut down on the win conditions. Yeah, I, I think so. I think what also makes me lean towards that uh, as well is that he has yeah two whistle dispute in the main and he's cut down to three uh, Birth of Midas. So uh, Birth of Midas is such a good card for um. Well, I suppose it is. It's into blue white blue white control so well, but I think it's um yeah it's a very pretty persistent card against mono red. Just supply you some turns, make sure you get your hand drops to start controlling the game. That's the, a lot of mono red decks look at a zero four, and uh, I think uh, GG. So for him to go down to three D's instead of four, uh, maybe he's thinking he's going to be seeing a little bit less, or a, little, a little fewer, a few, some fewer fewer mono red decks. Yeah, possibly. Uh, also, he is is clearly leaning on Elspeth conquers death as a way to bring back his win conditions, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like it's, yeah, as a conference act, it's so much harder to interact with. Yeah, like it's fine to 
run out and Archon of Sun's Grace and then block and like lose it to a Rimrock Knight or something because you're gaining uh you're gaining life from that and but then you can also just play Elspeth Conqueror's Death the next turn and then a couple of turns later you're getting back an, an Archon with a plus one plus one counter on it, which is obviously much better. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So you're, you're not you're not afraid to just throw it out and let it let it be guild because I guess yeah, without without uh recursion as um yeah, as reliable as Elspeth Conqueror's Death. Uh, yeah, you probably would be afraid to lose your win condition like that, especially with open necklace as well. If if you didn't have this recursion and you lost your own win condition, then you know, your opponent's not gonna your opponent's not gonna scoop. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just I did a little bit of googling there, and uh, PV was already the number one money earner uh, in Magic with five hundred and twenty four thousand uh, dollars one lifetime, and uh, so stick another three hundred thousand on that, and he's almost double. The next highest, which is John Finkel at four hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. Oh my god! And of course, that's, that's, uh, not including uh, MPL contracts. I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. So that's that extra good. That pretty much brings him over a million dollars in if you include his MPL contracts. I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess now the the, the conversation people keep bringing up is: Does this make him the greatest of all time, or was he already the greatest of all time, hmm. or uh, will he never be the greatest of all time? goat yeah i mean he was already in the discussion there right but i think there was a lot of people who were like no he'll never be better than than john or kai or or he's just he just isn't and maybe he will be in the future but he he just isn't now um i think it is interesting i was looking at some of the stats earlier um and yeah john john finkel just has an absurd um uh, you know absurd statistics um so he has what does he have he has like 16 Pro Tour top 8s I think and 3 wins and then PV has 13 Pro Tour top 8s and 2 wins and they both now have a World Championship win so I think on raw stats there that puts John Finkel better but then people always talk about the the era Um, so like John did it earlier in Magic so it was like quote unquote easier Um, nowadays the competition is much harder and uh, but also you know PV's career spans a, a good way back. You know, he, he started winning a long time ago and has never stopped. Uh, but John has taken a break from the game and then come back and had uh, another good career, you know. So I, I would put them on even-ish footing, maybe John slightly above PV. And then the other person who's in the discussion is Kai, because Kai, I think, also has a world championship, but he has seven Pro Tour wins, which is... Obviously, that's just an insane stat, and that's something that nobody really can ever hope to uh, equal, uh, unless the game continues on like for a very long time, uh, which it may. Who knows? Uh, I mean, PV could be the person to do that. Um, but yeah, I think that one, Kai's stat of seven wins, I think is definitely a relic of the time, because Pro Tours were probably definitely smaller and probably easier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think... Um... Yeah, I definitely agree with kind of, we really are comparing almost two different games. Um, and I think kind of, that kind of translation of numbers does really work very, very, very well. I think uh, in one of the, one of PV's, you know, short interviews, yeah, he made the point of saying that, yeah, like like what you said, um, that I don't think anyone is going to ever win seven Pro Tours. And so that's something that, if, if that's the standard you're holding them to, it's just going to be impossible. Um, I guess, yeah, so much of the game has changed since then, you know, just, just the freedom of information has changed. Uh, I mean, even, even I guess, yeah, the field probably was easier. Um, I guess it probably was harder to come up with, or even just find the strategy or to come up with a strategy. 
But I guess that makes, you know, you be, people being on teams have an old stronger advantage. Um, so, like, lots of different things have changed in the game over, over the years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not, a, not a fair comparison. But even still, PV can all agree that Paolo Vitor Domodorosa is very, very good at magic. Yes, we can certainly agree that. Um, what, what did you think of the other decks that were floating around? So there was, it was, the field was very kind of evenly divided, right? So there was like three, three people on blue-eyed control, four people on mono-red, four people on uh, teamer wreck, one person on joint cat, and then four more people on what? What was the other deck? Alright, Team of Rep, one of Red, Fire, Desk of Fires. Oh, Fires. Uh, we went to Triple. Fires, you can say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I was actually, yeah. What, what did you think of the of the decks? Well, yeah, so I, I was really surprised with the spread of decks. That, um, I mean, usually you kind of see, okay, I guess, I guess it really is a, a four deck format. Um, but usually if there's like a three deck format or a two deck format, you can kind of see how, oh, you're already, you know, you're already playing deck number one, you're already playing deck A because it beats deck B, but do you think people would be playing deck B, maybe play. Uh, deck A, or I think everyone's going to be that way, they, they, deck C. So, like, I, it's really easy just to envision that, you know, you know that rocket versus just have, you know, Pokemon, red, blue, uh, two, three deck format. But I think when you see four, um, all in equal numbers, that, that kind of, you know, it's slightly hard to get your head around. Um, and the fact that they're, the numbers are so close as well to each other, that, I mean, it almost feels like each of the pros had, um, was like thinking along the same lines as what to expect uh, in this battle. Um, and then another canister just on a whole different level playing John Sacrifice. Obviously on a lower level because <laughs> do that well, sadly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the track record was, but um yeah, it's uh I, I hadn't looked at his list since it, and his 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 list is almost is even stranger as well because I mean the new the new card he's playing, you know, they'll do deep a deep dive into that didn't do very well. But um he's playing four agonizing remorse in the main deck. I mean I the other day, I was thinking like agonizing remorse does seem reasonable in this metagame. Like if if two thirds of the field are playing um, blue eye control and um, team or wreck, then playing an agonizing remorse deck seems quite good to me. But there's not really a top tier black deck at the moment, so I was like trying to brew a sultai deck, which was doing okay. Um, but yeah, ag- agonizing remorse is definitely good at the moment like being able to like if you're playing against like pv's uh blue white list you're delighted with that because you can probably kill like if you can exile from hand the dream trawler or the archon there's just no actual way for him to win in game one right oh no he has castle ardenvale i forgot yeah he has castle ardenvale yeah yeah i think it's so many of these access rely on one like on a single card to tie it all together so yeah if you can if you can go between turn turns one and three uh, take out, uh, take a fire's invention from someone's hand. Take a wilderness reclamation from someone's hand. Their their deck would just function so much worse. Um, and then yeah, obviously, just having a hand disruption against Azor's uh, control makes sense. Also, just kind of get around counter spells and uh, that kind of thing. So I mean, people people make the same kind of person to Embercleave, I guess. I mean, well, Embercleave yeah is obviously very very powerful, but the mono red decks they can still function without it. Um, probably better so than other decks where their four mana enchantments. Oh, I do like, yeah, I do like Agonizer Remorse. You know, against literally against this field. So, um, yeah, it's not against the mono red decks because you have to lose a life. Um, yeah, but against the other decks, I I think it is quite good. 
the only thing is, or not the only thing, the, another uh, advantage about it is that it can't be like mystical disputed if the opponent is on, the, like if they play an untapped blue source on their turn one um, and then they have like a main deck mystical dispute and you play a thought erasure, that can be disputed, right? But uh, Agonizing Remorse can't be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's I think, a big plus for it. Yeah, so the more I look at this turn around, the sacrifice list, the more I like it. I mean, maybe, yeah, has its weakness against Monored, but you're fine against Monored anyway, I guess. Um, just with your incident life gain and your, like, um, X1 features just crumble to you. Uh, but unfortunately, it was, was done enough. Yeah, maybe Canister was expecting uh, more Monored at this tournament, which, but I, I don't know. I think that would be a weird expectation because we've seen so much. Uh, so much of a big deal made out of blue white, and then Teamer Wreck, you know, started to become popular then as well. So I don't know how he could be on the idea that mono red is going to be, you know, a massive part of the field. But uh, anyway, his his gamble did not really pay off for him there. And so mono red was another one of those decks that was a little bit different uh, at this tournament. So the 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 innovation or the the pioneering um, technology brought by the by the players was uh removing shock and putting in robber of the rich yeah that's something i can't get my head around what a, what's the rationale for i mean is this because you're not expecting to be uh blocked by any two different creatures so basically i think the the rationale there was that um blue white is really popular and team or wreck is really popular so shock is is basically a dead card like it doesn't shock shock is mainly good because it's flexible right so the like quote unquote main use of shock is to get your opponent's small creatures out of the way so you can just keep attacking with your small creatures, yeah? And it yeah. has the added bonus that if your opponent doesn't have small creatures, you can just use it to go face, or you can maybe burn someone out when you're when you've been blocked on the ground. But in a metagame where nobody's playing small creatures, it it goes significantly down in value. So you would rather just have a repeatable source of damage. So essentially Robert the Rich is just kind of the next best thing. It's like a shock that can repeat itself and then has a very small extra bonus. Yeah, that makes sense, definitely. Yeah, I think if you're, yeah, I mean, I think shocks are always what if you like your hand, in your hand, take your pain against the, yeah, the control or, or reclamation. Yeah. Uh, the teamer reclamation lists were not the same. Uh, like they were not all the same, but they were also not really. Like, there was no crazy innovations in them. Um, just in terms of conversion to top eight. Who got into top eight? Um, so there was two teamer wreck in top eight. There was Autumn Burchette and Jean-Emmanuel Depra. There were three mono red. Uh, Manfield, Eli Loveman, and Sebastian Pozzo. There were two Jeskai Fires, Gabe Nassif and Marcio. And then there was the one Azorius Control, which is PV. So it was kind of... It was pretty split down the middle, right? In terms of representation in the top eight um the only things that that were kind of a bit different were the fact that so there was only one azorius so that the conversion rate there for azorius wasn't great and uh three there were three top uh three mono red in the top eight so the conversion rate for mono red was good um but yeah the the reclamation lists the ones that made top eight um were so Autumn's list was two Hydroid Crazes in the main, and Opt, uh, a couple of Opt, Scorching Dragonfire in the main, one Scorching Dragonfire, three Storms Wrath, uh, a split between Opt and Omen of the Sea, and 27 lands. 
Um, John Emmanuel, John Emmanuel de Pra had also twenty-seven lands. Um, had four opt, no omen of the sea. Uh, only one passes intervention. Uh, four storms wrath had chemistry's insight, which I don't think Autumn Burchett had insight. No, uh, Autumn Burchett had four passes intervention. Mm, four opt here. One Niv Mizzet as well in the main for Depra. So no real consensus in terms of these teamer decks. And looking at the other ones as well, they're also quite different. Chris Kovartek and Matthias Leverado. So I think all those players worked like separately. None of them worked together. Uh, whereas I think Gabe Nassif and Raphael Levy had like the same Jeskai Fires list, I think. Uh, so yeah, some, some players, similar lists. Other players, same archetype, but wildly different lists. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. And it's, 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 it's interesting that yeah, some players have opted to, to work together uh, in this tournament. Um, obviously, some people did not. Um, it's an interesting speed. There's a list being shared and lots of stuff being in common between different lists. Yeah, so Levy and Nassif, Levy and Nassif obviously have the exact same list. They clearly work together. But then Marcio has a, a very different list with like Dream Trawler. Uh, doesn't have any Brazen Borrowers. Uh, doesn't have. Omen of the Sea. So yeah, just some 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 disagreement among the players here on on the optimal builds um, of their archetypes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's I suppose yeah, again without the uh, without the uh, draft um, results, it's hard to tell you know, exactly what difference has made a difference. But I guess the ones from the top eight, you know, inside the top eight, it's clear, or the top four, or was it? Actually, no. I suppose another another big talking point this weekend was how complicated the tournament uh, structure was. Um, I guess it was in the top eight. It was a bracket with the top four players. No, it was. Yes, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll stop talking because I don't know how, how double elimination brackets work. Um, yeah, that that was a big, big topic over the weekend. Uh, I think. Mm, so I'll, I'll just in, in the show notes, I'll link. Um, I link Efro's analysis of this. He he did like kind of a an essay uh, explaining the whole the whole structure and and why he thought that it was bad but basically it was like a as you said it was kind of like a double elimination structure but um so you know players were separated into upper bracket and lower bracket uh and if you came from the losers bracket to the grand final in the grand final marcio had to win so that they they played sets of matches not just sets of games and Marcio had to win three matches against PV, and PV only needed to win two matches against him. So, like, not only do you have to play more matches on the way, so, like, uh, Marcio had to play... Um, he had to win his, like, quote-unquote quarterfinals. Then he had to play the person uh, who won the other one uh, to determine, like, third, who would be third... And then he got into the grand finals against PV, um, and had to, and then still had to win more matches than PV had to win. So it was very, very heavily weighted towards winning early in the tournament. If you, if you like two owed in your draft pod, you were essentially much, much more likely to get to the finals than other than people who like o would or one would Um, you had to play so many more matches if you lost a couple early. Uh, so like, there's a a little spreadsheet thing uh, that Efro made going into uh, going into the final day, or sorry, this was actually going into day two, I think. Yes, going into day two, and uh, so like 
basically Marcio, uh, Seth Manfield, Eli Loveman, and Paolo had a record of 4-0 or 4-1. And, and each of them, the odds to win was at 23.5%. So you have four people each with 23.5% to win. Obviously, that takes up the vast majority of the percentage of the tournament. Uh, and then the next four people who are like in, quote-unquote, in top eight, so like Sebastian Pozzo, uh, Jean-Emmanuel Dupra, Autumn Burchett, and Gabe Nassif, each were under 2% to win. God. Yes, because they just had so many rounds. Yes, so many rounds to pay you. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty absurd. It's like, yeah, usually it's kind of, when you're, when you're in a normal tournament, when you're fighting through this, this, this you know, you're getting to the last round and, and you, you make top eight, you know, apart from the, the disadvantage of player draw in top eight, so once once you're in, you feel like you have a chance, just like everybody else. Whereas, uh, yeah, I guess kind of making it to day two, making it to the top eight here, uh, <laughs> doesn't have that same effect. Yeah, which you can kind of say that that's fine for a 16-player tournament. Obviously, being in the top 50% is not that great. Like, you you haven't done amazingly. But at the same time, you're against a bunch of people who are, like, the best players in the world. So, or ostensibly the best players in the world. Players who have done very yeah. well this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, fair play to you either way. And look, it's not like these players are, are going home with nothing. Last place goes home with $12,500. But uh, it's just... Or I think that was the price. I'm not 100% sure. Um, yes, I think that is the price. Uh, yeah, it's just a bit a bit shit to come into, day, come into the top eight of a tournament and be like, oh, I'm literally 2% to win this rather than uh, whatever... 100 divided by 8 is 12 and a half percent. Yeah, totally fine. Yeah, definitely. It's um, you know, it's strange. And like, maybe I like you know, there, there's a lot of um, scruffle over this on Twitter. Um, but like maybe this is just the best way to do it. Like this is the best way to structure these kind of tournaments. Um, I, I don't know much about how other sports do this or other games do this for double double limb. But maybe, like maybe this is uh, yeah a way to wait. Well, maybe just it's the way the way it works out for for a 16 person tournament. Uh, I'm not like I, I don't know anything about organizing tournaments to be honest it just this felt weird to me um, it felt not great so I think they should readdress it for next year I mean even Efro here did this whole analysis of it and he obviously thought about it a lot and he, he, under, he clearly understands the tournament structure very well and he seemed to think that the broad strokes of this were kind of okay but then some of the details just uh, made it much much worse for like we say that the players in the lower half of the top eight or whatever um and I, even just watching the finals like i didn't want marcio to win i wanted pv to win but at the same time literally looking at his thing and being like oh he has to win three matches that's shit if you make your way to the grand finals both players should be on even footing i kind of feel yeah definitely i, I think when I, when I first saw the yeah this between yeah two wins for for pv and three for uh three for marcio i think yeah, my head at first, I thought it made sense because, oh yeah, if, if he's coming through the loser bracket, coming through the lower bracket. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, he's playing more rounds of Magic as well to get there. So, you know, the concession is there. You know, it, it's, he's already he's already had his uphill line. Yeah, like PV played the first match of the day and then got to like sit and watch Marcio's matches for ages. He, he just had to, like, Marcio had to play straight through from the end of, of PV's match. Then Marcio just had to keep playing through it, and then he, he played his match, and then had, he won that, and then he had to play, play another match again against Seth Manfield, and then he won that, and then straight into playing against PV. Like he was definitely more tired and more like mentally, uh, 
like lower uh probably mental and, and emotional and all those things um were kind of heaped on him so i think that's enough of a disadvantage already i don't know yeah exactly and then like was 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 pv's first match of the day against marcio as well uh maybe i, I don't know i, I i'm I don't, not 100 sure I, I was shifting it out i think pv's first match was against oh i don't know i can't remember but uh no i don't think it was against marcio i think they played each other like the day before or something like that. Um, okay, yeah. yeah. Marcio was was PV's only loss in the tournament, actually. So. Oh right. Okay. Okay. Anyway, that's a uh, that's the world championship. It was it was a good watch. Um, Honolulu, beautiful surroundings. They had the little uh, the little news desk was outside, uh, which was kind of like there was a lot of wind and stuff. I don't know if that was the best decision. Maybe they could have put up a big windbreaker or something like that. Uh, the plants were blowing down. Uh, but in general, the coverage was was good. You know, Marshall's always fine. Maria's great. Uh, Becca's good. Uh, their experts were good in general. Uh, I've I'm really I've really been turned off. Alias V. She her accent annoys me. Uh, I don't know. I think they should. Oh, lay down. She's like, she also says a lot of stupid shit all the time. I feel. I'm not trying to like. <laughs> I I don't. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm like putting down women. Like men can also be, but like Marshall is kind of like very medium. I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's that good. Like fine, he's like base level fine, but he's not that exciting anymore. I think they should maybe ro- rotate some other people. Uh, Kibler, obviously, he's a Hearthstone pro now. Well, quote unquote Hearthstone pro. He's a streamer, uh, so he misses shit all the time as well. He's some of his stuff that he says is just dumb. Like he misses on board stuff all the time. Um, so like it's not just alias. I'm not trying to hate on specifically her, but I think I think they need to invest in some different play-by-plays. Um, and like K- Kibler is like a personality, so I guess he's fine as the quote-unquote expert. But when he's missing stuff like that, I think he's not the best uh, expert play. Chion does that a lot as well. He misses stuff on board, so I think they they could rotate some of their casters. Um, but like. On the news desk, Maria is just fantastic. She's always so good. Uh, so, you know, they should keep her, keep Cedric, uh, bring back Ian Duke. I really miss him. Uh, keep Becca and then try some other people. Ask Patrick Sullivan. Yeah. Yes, well, Patrick Sullivan would be great. Um, day 9 is also brilliant. Uh, I can take her leave Day 9. <laughs> but I well, yeah, that's He's fair <laughs> Too many times. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to think who else would be good. I'm going to say I'm trying to think who else who was shit. You're like saying I don't, I don't want to I don't I don't want to be single alias V. So here's here's my list of enemies. Yeah, Marshall. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reed Duke, Ian Duke, and Reed Duke. I just want to see both of them. Yeah, yeah. Reed Duke was good. Uh, Patrick, Sullivan. Patrick Chapin. He used to. Used to oh, he haven't heard him in a while. No, Patrick Chapin is the worst. We cannot have him. I just like hearing him speak. You know, I just like hearing him, hearing him ramble. Yeah, he's like a good person to go to for like a quote about like somebody's dog or something, like some like some personal anecdote from somebody's life. Uh, if they're like showing a snippet of a documentary in between rounds, that's fine. Go to Chapin for a quote, but don't put Chapin on a microphone. Scarab God always gets his money. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would like to see them. Like mine, some streamer, other streamers or podcasters for uh, some some new talent. I'm not I'm not hinting at myself because I don't think I would be very good at that job. 
I think it is a hard job. Um, I know it's easy to sit here and be critical, but look, all I can say is what I likes. That's fair. That, that is fair. It sounds like you're hitting towards yourself, but I think you'd be very good. Uh, listeners, if you think Dave Wolf should do this, uh, write in um, answers on a postcard. But uh, I mean, yeah, I, it, 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 it is, yeah. I mean, they're, they're sitting there doing this for hours. You know, obviously, it's a it's not an easy job, but it is nice and easy to sit back and, and uh, criticize. Yeah, I mean, pe- people like Marshall are just so like. He has so much experience doing it now that he's like automatically good. And actually, Alias is at that level as well. She, I, I don't know if she has a background in it before, like, because I, I only know her since she started getting involved in magic stuff. So she must have a background in casting stuff before. She can't just be a streamer. Um, because she's quite like easy with it, uh, like in terms of transitions and stuff like that, like welcoming the audience back or going to a break or whatever. She's like, seems practiced at that stuff so um fair play to her and i know that stuff is hard and that's the stuff that i would be really bad at if i did it so i'm actually not ending on myself i i'm <laughs> not that wizards listens to this podcast uh, but anyway well you, you never know um true what i was hoping to talk about was was uh speaking of speaking of uh being easy to criticize uh what do you think of, of marcio's keep that last that last game god that was a that, that was shit wasn't it yeah yeah that was a stinker yeah so uh what was the exact hand it was like uh, it was like castle vantress island teferi legion war boss fires of invention fires of invention and then i don't remember the last card i think the last card was maybe a cavalier of flame was it Ooh, no i i will get it up here um i i, I know if it, he did draw a cavalier of flame okay uh and i was like yeah i think it's such, such a I mean, I think like I was just watching the final there. You can kind of tell looking at looking at both, both players, um, you know, in, in their in their in their screens and their monitors. Uh, you can just see how this Marshall seems to be just a very um, emotive player. That like he'd be like his head would be in his hands. He'd be sighing. You can see some games where he thought he was going to win and he's getting all excited. Then he got really frustrated when the game turned around. That it seemed like the stress was getting to him. And just to me, that keep just seems like something you just uh, you do if you're if you're not um if you're if you're, if you're on, on if you're on tilt or if you're not in your, your right mindset, uh, I'm sure oh, if, he, if he's playing this over again, he definitely will not keep that. I mean, maybe if he's playing this that match in a, that game in a, in, a, in a vacuum, I can't imagine the justification of keeping a hand. Yeah, like he was on the draw, right? Was he? He was on the play, right? Yeah, he's, he's on the play. I don't know. I did. Uh, yeah, this, this was the last. It was the last game, right? Because so I didn't see this. I fell asleep before this happened. Um. So I didn't see it live. I assumed that he was on the draw, but if you're if you're saying he's on the play, that's even worse. Yeah, so I, I have a screenshot here. Um, yeah, I was also drifting in and out of consciousness at this at this time of the night. It's very late over here. Uh, yeah, so it's you go first. Yeah, like uh, card you said, Rantress Island, Fairy, uh, Elspeth conquers death. It was a seven card. Ah, boss, dimension, dimension. Yeah, like, yeah, on the like on the, you've, I mean, it's like if I, know, I just yeah. <laughs> If he draws either a red source or a white source before turn three, then the hand is very good. Uh, especially, well, I mean, which which one is more ideal? Probably the red source, uh, so that you can get attacking with the Legion War Boss. The white source obviously lets you play Teferi, which allows you to um, it allows you to keep more cards flowing. So you know, both are good, but plenty of his, both his red and white sources come in tapped. As well, so he has to draw. He has to not only draw one by turn three, but it has to be 
an untapped one on turn three. Otherwise, he's still a turn behind, and being a turn behind in that way is going to be very, very bad for him, regardless of whether he draws the land in that spot or not. So if he was on the draw, I would think that the hand is barely, barely keepable because there's two fires. Uh, so that's kind of... he's It's, it's almost like a mulligan to six anyway. Um but I guess no, actually that's a, <laughs> that's the reverse argument, isn't it? It's it's because the hand is yeah. like a mulligan to six. Why not just mulligan to six? So yeah, I, I just don't think it's defensible to keep that hand. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, yeah, like at a point to make it there that once you like if you're keeping a two hundred hand, you have to just consider the possibility. All right, how far beh- how far behind do I fall if I don't get an untapped uh, source on return tree? And like in, in this in this matchup, you know, if once once Pelos on. Once once you know, holding up absorb mana, you're you're dead. Um, so you know you need to get if you, if you're relying so much on getting to bury or war boss down turn tree, um, you can't can't afford to miss miss a drop a drop. And uh, yeah, it was funny. you you made that point earlier on about uh, having two fires in hand is like um it will already. So then yeah, yeah let's take the mulligan. Yeah, yeah, and then e- even if Teferi is the card that you have, uh, like if you draw a white source and you get to play your Teferi. You have to be scared that uh, PV has like a mystical dispute or a Dovin's veto in his hand because, uh, like, then your your whole play is just screwed. And then you have to hope you top deck a land again, uh, and it has to be the right color again and untapped again. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the very compounded. Um, anyway, look, <laughs> it didn't matter really because, or well, it was fine in the sense that he didn't draw the land, so. His his uh, misery was was short lived. He he knew that the game was lost very soon after he didn't draw his land. So uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice and stress free. Yeah. I guess the one point is going to make is that when I when I see it, when I take on playing, but I suppose this is a case before London Mulligan came in that if I was playing a deck, say you know a kind of kind of kind of call it a combo-ish deck, fires inventions or some like busted hands. If I'm if I'm looking at a marginal seven or maybe even just, I guess it's a, a below marginal seven. And I'm thinking possibilities of, well, you know, maybe uh, if I get if I get this land by this turn, I'll be able to do this. And if the board looks like that, this would be really good. Uh, it won't be good if it looks like that. If I'm, if I'm starting to think down those paths, like what I do is I literally close my eyes so I don't see the cards anymore. Like close my eyes and think, all right, Tand is, is, is you know, keepable for these reasons. But, you know, what does an average six look like? And usually an average six is going to be, is this going to have, <laughs> this is going to be a lot better than what's in my hand. But that's, that's what I used to do before the Mulligan. But now you can do that. And just close your eyes and think, oh well, what does a what does another seven look like? Because you're you're just going to take one out and put it under. So I think oh, we we obviously go on for a long time about how indefensible this keep was, but you know I know I'm not I I didn't play uh, in you know in the top four in the top two in the grand final of world championships for world world championship magic 2019 or 2020 or whatever year it is. Uh, but if I did. I well, what happened is I would have in this hand. Uh, I still would have lost because PD is very good at magic, but um, I would have given myself a few extra percentage points than uh, Marcio did. Yeah, like what you were saying there, like imagining the next seven card hand. I mean, literally, it, it it's almost like a, it it is almost a free mulligan in this spot because because he has that second fires of invention, right? Because so it, even if he literally draws the same hand again, the exact same hand, it's like oh well, that's that's functionally no different from what I just had, so it's literally free. Yeah, exactly, and like, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like sometimes if you look at a hand like this, you think, oh, well, maybe I, oh, maybe it's good I have two fires because if he answers one, I have the other one. 
But I think if that's, in this matchup, I mean, he's going to answer your fires with such a man at advantage. Uh, you're going to be very, you know, you're just because you can go turn five. Aha, I have a second one. <laughs> Even if that does happen, it's still not a, a winning position because yeah, he's probably done so much more uh, with his turn. Yeah. Uh, w- one more thing that I did want to mention is um, PV's sideboard strategy in these games so basically he was sideboarding out all of his counter spells except for mystical dispute obviously he's boarding an extra mystical dispute because it's just so efficient um but he was boarding out his absorbs because the way that he saw the games was that uh the fires player wants to get just you know needs to get down the teferi and some amount of the time they're just going to do it anyway so why not just board out your counter spells which all become dead as soon as the teferi's down and just stock up on Mystical Dispute because you can potentially tag a Teferi with the Mystical Dispute. Uh, like on, like e- even when you're on the draw, you can tag the fer- the Teferi with the Mystical Dispute. Yeah, that, 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 that's a really good. Um, I think that's such a kind of three-dimensional thinking on PV's point of view because like, almost like one of my rationales going back to his hand was one reason, a reason why you can convince yourself to keep a hand as bad as this if you're thinking, all right, well this is bad, but forget my white source. I can play Teferi in turn three and shut off, you know, shut off half by bonus deck shut off half my opponent's hand. So it's almost like PV is already a step above, you know, a step beyond that. And then, yeah, saying, well, yeah, I'm not going to rely so much on counter spells. Because I think, to be honest, his, his main deck seems like it really does uh, rely on, on on the instant speed interaction. So, um, yeah, by switching out the deck, kind of turning the, turning the deck into a tap-out control deck uh, makes uh, yeah, makes your opponent's a very, a lot less important. And then if you're in a position where your opponent's going to make sacrifices because they believe their Teferi is very important, uh, you're going to pull yourself very far ahead. Yeah, that's why he's the greatest goat of all time. <laughs> the goatiest goat that ever goated. <laughs> exactly. I think that's all our topics for today. Is it? I don't. I don't know if there's anything left that I would care to address about worlds. Um, uh, no, I think that's. Yeah, I think we hit on everything. Um, in terms of you know, the magic, I've been playing lots of fields of Avka draft. I mean, I don't. I don't think anyone wants to hear a deep dive the that a year and a half old format, but. <laughs> If you do, give me a text. <laughs> if you want to learn how to how to draft uh, how to draft a mirror, uh, the trick is pick pick the blue and black cards on arena because the the bot doesn't. Um, that's that quite is helpful. Still not fixed. You know, actually, I don't know. I think I mean <laughs> I I know I just said I won't go into it. Well, say the first draft I did. Um, here's what happened. I went pick one, watch your mist. That's like pretty good. Pretty common. Uh, pick two. Um, I got past the the mirror. Gold guard, the, the, the busted flyer, the tree tree fire, hexproof. And I was like, boom, all right, two good picks, we're doing it. So then Demir was completely, completely dried out. I kind of was really dried out for the rest of the pack. I was like, kind of picking like one of the lower end commons. Um, uh, I guess so the C minuses and Ds. Um, but it's like, all right, maybe I'll pick back up again in the second pack. In the second pack, it didn't pick up again. Um, I was really kind of struggling. I was like, oh, red kind of opened up. I was trying to get some, put some business stuff together, but that didn't really come together either. I was really floundering around, didn't know what to do. Then pack three, uh, Demir was just open again, and I just put together most of my deck using pack three. I got past uh, Doomcaller, Doomcaller, Doom Whisperer, the big flying dude. I got past him like second or third pick, and then I got lots of other removal spells I needed. Yeah, that's, but then, um, that's insane. My, my deck came together in pack three after uh, Demir being cut off in both packs one and two. So uh, I don't know how to, what to make of that. Yeah, you you were saying that nobody knows how to uh, how to draft it, right? So it's it's easy pickings right now. Yeah, I guess, yeah, because I've been to be honest, listeners, I was in the bronze, I was in bronze, so people were very good. But I had so many vicious rumors cast against me. You know, if, could you 
Do you know what Vicious Rumors does? Um, kind of. It's it's a it's a black single black spell. It's a sorcery. It's like you put the top card. You lose a life. Put the top card of your library into your graveyard. Discard a card, and then one more thing. Is that what it is? Yeah. So okay, so your opponent discards a card. Um, each opponent discards a card. No, oh, yeah. So it's your opponent does this stuff. Yeah. So you lose one damage each opponent. And then each opponent discards a card. Uh, mills one, and then you gain one life. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've had people cast like multiples, multiples of those. Um, in, in one match. And, um, what a card. Uh, uh, I mean, and there's under its own draft, I, I had Mulhide Ferox. And I got, I had this, I had this uh, Vicious Rumors cast against me so many times when Mulhide Ferox was not in my hand. And whenever Mulhide Ferox was in my hand, I was playing matchups that players were playing. So uh, I was very close to Mulhide Ferox-ing out uh, a Mulhide Ferox in response or in as a Vicious Rumors resolves. But uh, I did not. The matter was pushing it anyway. Yeah. Now I'm in gold. Love it, love it. That is Sorry. that is actually a a, a fine. So good, good job there. Um, yeah, yeah I, I might jump in. Uh, I'll see. Um, I don't really remember anything about Gills of Ravnica other than Demir and Boros are good. That's all. Yeah, and I think this. I mean, if you're you can be a multicolor um, eight sec. Usually your base sulfi or base green. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I guess sulfi is a gates. The, the Ravnica Allegiance was the gates format, right? I bet you they, they, they both had gate decks. I think the gate deck was just a lot better in Legions. Oh, okay. Okay. You had the combo in the guilds of the uh, of the Gavel, the Glaive, Glaive, the Glaive, the Glaive, and the Big Worm. Um, get the, the, that can't be blocked. But how does it work? The Worm can't be blocked by more than one creature. And the Glaive gives it um, menace. And the Glaive also gets bigger if you have gates. That's basically what you're doing. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, I'll jump in and, and, see, and see what it's like. Yeah. I would like to play Theros Beyond Death Draft, to be honest, but that's good. I know, yeah. We've had, we've had one week of that. I mean, you can still play a traditional draft. Yeah. But, I mean, if you want to grind, if you want to be, if you, if you want to, you know, make your, make your way to the World Championship, World Championship, Magic Worlds, World Magic, or Magic Book, Magic World Championships 2020, <laughs> which I think is what next year is going to be called. Yeah. No, 2021 next year. I, I've seen, okay. Uh, well, I've, I've seen it's been called everything, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it's going to be in like July next year, so there's more more than a year between between worlds this particular cycle because of the because of the half season. Okay, that's probably that's probably how long it takes me to grind to mythic in, in limited. <laughs> it's, it's so hard, Jesus! It really was a struggle getting the gold, and then I got a gold. It was like great, and then um, I won the first match. I mean, just like seeing like after a really close match, really complicated board, finally winning, and then just seeing like. <laughs> one bead appear on like your gold four you know, out of five things you have you have to seven oh i don't know what other three times to um get up to platinum ah you can do that yeah. be grand i'll be fine yeah, exactly just maintain a 60 percent win rate that's that's easy yeah I'll, I'll just drop whatever my draft is uh not ideal yeah all right and on that wonderful note we'll uh end the show for today just before we go i'll mention inkedgaming.com Again, uh, if you go to inkedgaming.com forward slash schoolcrack, you'll be able to get 10% off your order of a custom playmat and other wonderful gaming accessories, uh, or you can click the link in the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, tweet at us at schoolcrack on Twitter, or you can email us schoolcrackpodcast at gmail.com. And that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
right. Uh, pa- PV, Paolo Vitro Domodoroso. He says, he's. you say he's the greatest of all time. But I have him here in my... No, I don't here in the studio. Um, <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. Um, but no, I have a... So people talking about, you know, who's a goat? Is 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 uh, is BB the goat? Is John Finkel the goat? Is Kai the goat? Well, um, on today's edition of Lion versus Wolf, uh, the lion cannot be here, so the wolf will have to fend for himself. Oh, um, but the wolf will be answering questions about goats in magic. Okay. Well, how's your how's your goat lore? Uh, very poor. Like folklore goats. <laughs> um, right. So I have questions here about goats. Um, I'm going to ask you. I make I pick up numbers out. I'm going to ask you. Six questions if you get, uh, I pick an odd number. I'm going to ask you seven questions. Um, if you get four or more correct, uh, you win. Okay. Are you ready to get, are you ready to, are you ready to get goaded? goaded? Oh, yes. I'm going to goad you into goaded. <laughs> All right. Um, question number one. We are going to ask you about uh, the most archetypical goat of them all. A mountain goat. It's appeared in an old magic set. I'm going to click on the window and see what it was. So don't. I want to get it wrong. Uh, Mountain Goat is a card. It's a creature. It's a goat. Uh, it's, it costs red mana. One red mana for a featured goat. Uh, Dave Wolf, can you tell me what else Mountain Goat does? Um, well, you didn't say, say what set it was from. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's 5th uh, edition. Ice Age. Ice Age. Ice Age. Ice Age first. It's printed loads of times. 6th uh, edition, 5th edition. Pretty sure, pretty sure it's a 1-1 with Mountain Walk. That is correct. It is a 1-1 with Mountain Walk. Well done. Nice. We've got one right. Uh, only the rogue and the mad follow mountain goat trails. <laughs> the flavor text. And um, it is an ice age, I think, is the first print. Mountain goats also follow mountain goat trails. That's true, yeah. yeah. All right. Now, goat number two. Uh, this is a card called Zodiac Goat. Are you aware of this? Do you know what this card is? Um, I think so. Uh, it is from what's it called Portal Three Kingdoms. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, again, it's a red card. Uh, can you tell me the text of Zodiac Goat. Is it the exa- exactly the same as Mountain Goat? It is exactly the same as Mountain Goat, correct. That is too right. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I, just, uh, I, I just find the art of, of Zodiac Goat is so humorous. Wait. This is a picture of a goat just like, you know, looking straight ahead. And this is kind of like a Zodiac kind of image in the background. And um, oh, I don't know, it's just so funny. I don't know why it's so funny. It's just like, it's, it's just a very average looking goat with kind of a mystical thing behind it. It's if uh, there's more to this goat than uh, meets the eye. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this real quick. Zodiac Goat yeah. MTG. Oh yeah, that's that's a hilarious art. It's like he doesn't realize it, but he's he's a really special goat. Um, <laughs> All right, I'll close this window just in case I see any other goat okay. facts. All of the your questions are about uh, that specific goat. Okay. Um, my God, have I have I lost my page? Um. Okay. So question number three. Um. Speaking of three. The, the three goats, that's a, that's a, a, a cultural thing, reference. Sure. Um, there are, so the, currently in standard, the um, goat token is a zero one token. And uh, there are three standard legal cards that make one zero one goat tokens. Can you name all three? Uh, this is just one question because the game is not fair. Um, Clackbridge Troll. Yeah. Mm, what's the. Uh... I don't think I, I can't really remember the name. It's the can, can I just describe the card? Does that count? Yeah. Uh, two and a black for the three two and it makes a goat and it has like sack a creature, scry one, and then it has escape for three black black and it gets two plus one plus one counters. I think it's is it called Grim Strider? Is that what it's called? 
It's called uh, Wolfstrider. Wolfstrider. Yeah. Wolfstrider. Very good. Very good. And then um, last one is uh, Discordant Piper. Uh, that is correct. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, Discordant Piper is a basically Discordant Piper is a card that you wouldn't get. So yeah, two one for two one. One in black for two one. That when it dies, you get a goat. Your one goat token. Yeah. Um. So I'm on, I'm on three points, am I? Oh yeah, yeah, three points. So you'd get you'd get one more. Well, yeah, one more to win. Well, you try. Well, try. I mean, you're going for a full streak. Yeah, you know, you take your votes very seriously. I will accept um, less than than perfect. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, this is a I'm look at what I'm looking at here is a land. So it's a land, land. Um, that you can pay four mana to produce a goat token progression or Wait, say that say that again. <laughs> so there there is a land that has an ability. Oh. A tap at one your mana pool. At four and tap put a zero one white goat creature token on the battlefield. Okay. Uh, it also has the ability of sacrifice X goats at X mana of any one mana of, of, of any one color to your mana pool. Oh, you gain X life. Oh, that's a really good ability. I think it is actually. Yeah, I think it's have there's plenty of goat creatures. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this card before, so uh, <laughs> I'll have to ruin my streak that I was going for there. Stuff, yeah. Well, I, I ruined it on purpose because I didn't want you to win. This is a uh, spring spring jack pasture. Okay. Is it Lorwyn? It is down to the Printing in front of me is not Lorwyn. It's a newer set, but I presume it is Lorwyn. Uh, Lorwyn also had zero one white coats. Evan died. Yeah, yeah, Evan died. Um, yeah, okay. Um, okay. So now, if you didn't know what Spring Jack Pasture was, well, I don't think you're going to get this next card. This is a four mana artifact that uh, makes goats. Oh, I do. Uh, I'll read it to whole text. You know this? Yeah, I know this. It's Trading Post. Trading Post, correct? Yes. So this is a uh, you won. You won now. What anticlimax? Right. You won. So yeah, uh, one and tap discard a card. You gain four life. One and tap, pay one life, create a zero one goat token. Uh, one and tap, sacrifice a creature, turn card artifact from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, one and tap, sacrifice an artifact, draw a card. There's many things. Cantrips always good. Yeah, well, it's a, it's like a big cycle. It does the whole thing. You can trade all your things for another thing at the trading post. Trading post, exactly. All right, well, um, let's challenge me. See, see if we can, see if I can get the other. How many more are left? Two. Two, two left. Two left. Okay. Um. Oh my god, I'm dropping so copy uh, the pen I had. Okay, so there, so you're you know, you're 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 a, you're, you're a well seasoned limited player. You know all about uh, active treason and and um, the other threat effects. Yep. So uh, there is a threat effect called Goat Nap. Yep. Um, you tell me uh, what makes Goat Nap different to other threat effects. So I'll start off by saying it's gain control target creature until end of turn. Hold that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. It has one more line of text. Uh, if it's a goat, it gets plus two plus zero. Oh. Uh, it's plus three plus zero. Oh, but oh, damn it, that's a that's a, it's much better than you think it is. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, that's strong. I think a goat. I think it's here is a modern horizons. Yeah. So was there lots of goats in that format? I mean, uh, yeah. So it's originally from I, I don't. It's from Lorwyn Block. I don't know which set, but the like the the joke there was that um, changeling was a mechanic of the set. So. Every changeling oh. is also a goat, and in Modern Horizons, there was also a changeling theme, so... Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Ah, oh, that's very good. Very clever. Um, okay, and then the final final question. This is this one. is You're not going to get this one, because it's the hardest one. Uh, there is one... So, there's one card with a goat in its name. Name of the card. Goat in it. But its uh, text and its ability has nothing to do with goats. 
So there's a goat in the art and there's goat in the name. No, sorry, go- only goat in the name. Goat in the name or else. So there's a goat in the name, but yeah. nothing to do with goats, the rest of the card. Nothing to do with goats at all. Okay. Can you give me the, the mana cost of the card? Yeah, it's uh, white. Single white mana. Single white mana. Hmm. So like, the, where my thoughts are going now is that the word goat is, is in there as part of a larger word, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very good. That's the right way, right way to think about it. Um, but I still don't know what it is though. <laughs> um, goat, a goat, a goat, my goat, goat, goat. I have no idea. <laughs> go for the goat, goatsy. No, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't invoke that name. <laughs> no, the answer is scapegoat. Oh, I that actually went through my mind. And I was like, no, that's a stupid, that's a stupid answer. Well, then why did you say it? Oh, I see. Oh, when you say arrow storm, oh, you're suddenly very clever. But then you, the other thing crosses your mind. You don't say it. <laughs> how, how would that be if you just said scapegoat? Same way you said arrow storm. Yeah, uh, I should have. I should have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, what does the do? Do you want to take a guess to what scapegoat does? It's a, one, it's a white instant. Single white instant. I think it's like it's one of those ones that's like put a on the top of your library or the bottom of your library or something? No, no, it's much worse than that. Now, I, I can't even imagine a situation where you want to, where you want to cast this spell. It's, uh, so part of the boss is sacrifice creature. Hold on. Okay. So sacrifice creature, return any number of target creatures you control to its owner's hand. Huh. Maybe there's a combo with it. Sacrifice. If they're targeting... <laughs> it's, like, it's like a bounce spell, but it doesn't bounce the thing that they're targeting. Oh, well, I guess it can. But you've got to sacrifice something else. I mean, it can it can save your board from a board wipe at the cost of one creature. Like it makes, well, it still it still makes their uh, their board wipe into a two for one because you have to spend this card on your one creature. So but, yeah, and draw in your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's a sacrifice outlet. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a strange one. Then. Yeah, it's weird. This one has figured out how to break scapegoat. Uh, let us know. I'm sure. Better uh, your combo with it. Yeah, there's gotta be something if you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on that uh, goat note. We're out of here. Bye-bye. Go for the goat.